we are in a series. We've been in a series called All In throughout this month of May. And uh, today, Memorial Day weekend, I think it's so fitting that God kind of worked out the, the timing of what we were talking about today. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit knows the future or something. It's crazy. He worked out the timing. Because this is a day in America, of course, that we honor those men and women who went all in, who gave their absolute all, who invested their all, who sacrificed their lives for other Americans, that ultimate sacrifice. They gave their lives to defend our freedom. And for me, this series that we're in called All In... Uh, is made all the more poignant by, by finishing up today. We're wrapping it up on a day that we honor people who gave their all. And I couldn't be more grateful to all of those, those men and women. You know what? And just like those soldiers and those sailors and Marines and airmen who gave their all, history is full of Christians who've given their all. Followers of Christ who willingly, even joyfully, laid down their lives for Christ, for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of an earthly kingdom, or a nation, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and I, I always just am inspired by those Christians. Now, fortunately for you and me today, we're sitting here in Spring, Texas, 2016. Uh, most of you won't be called upon to be martyred for Christ, right? I mean, we, it's okay to say, thank you, Lord, for that, for that blessing. We're not usually going to be called on, most of us. Um, we're blessed to live in a time and place where we can worship freely. We can tell others the gospel without worrying too much about our safety. Um, but that doesn't mean that God expects any less from us than he expected from all those brave missionaries and apostles and disciples who gave their all. You understand? He doesn't expect any less from us. Jesus himself in the gospel of Matthew spells it out really clearly what he asks of all of us. He says this in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's pretty much everything, right? This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he, he, he went on. He said, the second's like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we show God we love him? We show him by loving our neighbor as ourselves. So if you want to be all in kind of disciples, which is the invitation this month, uh, how to be all in disciples and see God move in an all in kind of way in our life, if you want that, there are three things that we actually have some control over. There's a lot of things in your life you don't have control over. Weather, rain, whether your streets are opened or not, right? Jobs. Sometimes we don't have control over these things. Here's three things you actually do have control over, and that is your time, your talents, and your treasure. And the Bible talks a lot about these three things, your time, your talents, and your treasure. These are the things that God calls us to invest into the, into the kingdom. And we've already talked about two of these uh, areas of our lives that we all go through, uh, that we go all in, and that is uh, through serving with our talents and through giving of our treasure. Today, we're going to finish on a biggie. This is a biggie because it's something, if you're like me, you guard even more zealously than your money, and that's your time. It's a biggie. Specifically, we're talking about making time to intentionally go into c connecting with each other, intentionally connecting with one another on an authentic level, not just like saying hi to each other in the hallways once a week, but on an authentic level. And it boils down to one thing. It boils down to trust. We've been asking the question this way. We've been asking, what would happen if you dared to give your everything to the God who can do anything? What would happen 
if you dare to give your everything to the God who can do anything. And my goal this month has been to, to inspire each and every one of us, and I'm insp- I've been inspired too, to, to move one step closer away from the sidelines and into the game. To, to move a step closer from being just a religious tourist. You know what a tourist looks like, right? It's the guy in the Bermuda shorts. He goes to some really pretty place and he takes pictures of everything. And then he goes back home to his boring, mundane life. He doesn't stay there. He goes back home. Well, we want to move from that. And I'm praying what the Holy Spirit does is inspire you to say, you know what? I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back to that old life. I don't want to be a religious tourist anymore, just kind of sitting here and observing and taking my pictures of the weird wildlife going on. Right? No, no, no. I'm ready to burn my old passport and, and declare a new loyalty. Amen? A new citizenship. And if that's you, then, then today could change your life. Um, so we're talking about an all-in kind of life. It's a wonderful life. To start off with, this wonderful, awesome life, let's talk about death. That's a wonderful thing in the morning. Good morning. Welcome to Generations. Let's talk about death. Uh, Woody Allen once uh, said famously, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. None of us like to think about death. When it, you know, we, we don't like to think about our, our mortality. George Carlin said, I'm always relieved when someone's delivering a eulogy and I realize it's not about me. That's a good feeling. And then, of course, there's the famous uh, Jerry Seinfeld quote. All of our Jerry Seinfeld fans over in this section say, woo Yeah. Uh, He says, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two. That means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. (laughs) To the average person. More scared of public speaking than death. That's hilarious. So we we usually joke about death because, you know, nobody wants to think about the reality of it. But when we do, when we have these moments in our life where we we stop to think about death. You notice how it tends to make all the important stuff rise to the surface. You start thinking, if you're at a funeral or somebody, or, or you just hear about something happening, or kind of a crisis, even just, just a crisis, like we've experienced in our, in our community this week, you know, a crisis. It starts to make you think about what's important. What's important? Um, there was a, a New York Times best-selling book called The Last Lecture, And it was co-authored by this Carnegie Mellon professor, Randy Posh. Randy Posh, uh, Dr. Posh, he gave this series of, well, the book is based on a series of lectures given by by people, where these people were asked to think about what matters most to them. What matters most? Imagine that they were dying and that they had a final talk to give to their students or to their colleagues or just people. And so the goal was to get all these brilliant academics to share what wisdom they would impart to the world if they knew it was their last chance to speak. Only from Dr. Posh, it turns out the exercise wasn't hypothetical. Because one month before he was to give his talk, he found out that he had terminal cancer. One month before he was to give his talk. And so it became very, very real for him. And so in his book, there he is. In his book, Dr. Posh shares everything he wanted his, his children to know after his death. And he tells stories of his childhood, uh, lessons that he wants his kids to learn, and what you know, he was urging them to, to live life well. Here's some of the things that he said. He said, people 
are more important than things. When we're connected to others, we become better people. He also said, showing gratitude is one of the simplest yet most powerful things humans can do for each other. Now, we kind of know this, right? I mean, we kind of know it on some level. We, it carries more weight, though, when, someone, when it's said by somebody who's about to die, doesn't it? And yet, in the day-to-day of normal life, we tend to forget about the stuff that really matters. We, we forget that, we, we, we start to get the, under the impression that stuff is more important than people. And getting things done can feel more important than connecting with people. I guarantee you this week there are folks all over our community who may have last week, they might have just kind of thought the most important thing was their stuff and getting to work and all this kind of stuff and making sure the routine gets done. And this week there were a whole lot of people who, who found themselves incredibly grateful that they had people to call on, to come rescue them, right? Come give them a ride in a boat or something like that, right? And suddenly stuff becomes very replaceable. Nothing more important than people, right? Well, did you know we have what could be considered sort of like a last lecture by Jesus, his, his equivalent of the last lecture. It's not actually a lecture. It's a prayer that he prayed just hours before he was arrested and sentenced to die. And his closest friends, the disciples, were with him. And, and one of them, John, recorded this prayer. And it's really, really incredible to me that we have insight into this. We can see Jesus' heart and his mind in these crucial moments, these last moments. What would he pray? What would, he, what would matter the most? What was he thinking? What wisdom would he impart? And, and just like you might expect, the thing that rose to the surface of Jesus' mind in those last hours were people. He was concerned about people. People. He spends a really good portion of the prayer asking God to protect and bless the close friends that were with him in the room. In fact, the entire 17th chapter of the book of John is, is really worth reading. We don't have time today. Maybe we could do that in our small groups this week. But I want to I focus on just four verses here. In John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples that were there in the room with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you realize the significance of this prayer? of these words, who was on Jesus' mind moments before he faced death? You. You and me. We were the ones on his mind. He's saying, I'm not just praying for the friends who are beside me now, I'm praying for all those who are going to become my friends in the future. I can see them already. Right? I'm praying for those who are going to follow me in the times to come. He's praying for you. So, what does that tell you about your worth in his eyes? The final things that he's thinking about are you and me. He's facing death, and you're on his mind. So, and what does he pray for you and me? He prays that we will be one. That's his prayer. That we'll be one. That we'll live in complete 
unity with one another. He doesn't pray that we'll all be the same. He prays that we'll be in unity. He prays that we'll be joined together with the same kind of connectedness that he shares with the Father. Of all the things he could have prayed for, and he could have prayed for a whole lot of things. When Jesus was facing death, he prays for unity. He focuses on relationships, on connection. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about connecting. Connecting, investing your time. Connecting is about our relationships with one another, with other believers. Connecting is about being that close-knit, generous, mutually supportive, mission-driven, encouraging community that God intended us to be. That's what he intended, that he dreamed for us. Connecting is about unity. Unity. Connecting means nobody walks alone. Amen? Amen. You can talk in here. It's okay. Um, so connecting is what Jesus, his dying prayer is all about. There's just one problem now. That was great, but do we live there? Are, are, are we, is it happening today? Despite his prayer, uh, we aren't quite there yet, are we? Unity is still kind of elusive when you look around. Does anybody agree? It's, it's kind of elusive. We live in a world that's full of disconnection. My, uh, we're all guilty of it. And, and I'm totally included in this. More than once, my wife has elbowed me as I'm sitting around a meal with friends uh, and I'm secretly glancing at my phone in my lap, right? Checking the score or that Facebook post or whatever it is, you know, whatnot. More than once. It's, and, and you know what? It's easy to blame technology and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that. But... We, we can kind of blame that for keeping us from connecting. And while that is a factor, I think, I think there's, there are bigger reasons that keep us all from connecting. Reasons that we would probably rather not recognize all the time. Reasons that keep us from being one the way God intended it. And, and these are the reasons why Jesus prayed that prayer for us. We all wrestle with things deep inside us that are hard to deal with. Things like shame. Reasons like resentment, guilt. These are things that keep us from connecting in an authentic way. So we have shame for things that uh, maybe we've done in the past. All of us do. And we keep that buried deep inside because if we connect with others, you know, they might find out about it. The bubble will burst. They think we're perfect. And you know what? They don't think you're perfect. They know you're not perfect. If they found out about your past, you know what they'd go? Ah, that explains it, right? <laughs> More than likely, right? There's not going to be bubbles, bubbles burst. We get shame for things we've done. Sometimes we have resentment for things that have been done to us or said to us by people. Some of us have been burned by people in the past who were supposed to be friends even, right? That happens. Maybe somebody we loved betrayed us. And if we connect with others, we might get burned again. It's a lot safer to just not connect. Or maybe we have guilt for a sin that's still in our life. Right? We're, it's still a part of our lives. And things that we, we might still be doing we know aren't right, and we simply just can't stop doing them. And we, we don't want others to know that part of us. Or, or for some of us, we might just be too proud 
Some of us might be too proud to connect with other people. We think we're just better than these yahoos, right? I mean, let's face it, right? Sometimes we just think we're better. And, and we, know, you know, we know a little bit more about the Bible than these guys. I've been a Christian longer than them. Uh, you know, they, I, I, just, I'm more successful in my life than these people. I, there's just something about something that makes us feel better than and so connecting with each other, you know, it would just require way too much humbling of ourselves. There's many things that keep us disconnected from one another. You might have your own reasons, and they might be really justifiable reasons. But I think at the heart of all these things, the, the core thing that almost all of us struggle with is, is one thing. It's an obstacle that stands in the way of oneness, of unity, and it keeps us from connecting. And that thing is vulnerability. The fear of vulnerability. And I want to talk about that for a minute. The fear of vulnerability is, is an obstacle that keeps us from moving towards each other. Uh, best-selling author, uh, Breen Brown, she said that she was given a TED Talk, and she was talking about vulnerability. She said this, Vulnerability is at the core of shame, fear, and our struggle for worthiness. It's a brilliant talk if you get a chance to go on YouTube and listen to it. Vulnerability is what keeps us from connecting. We don't want to let others into our lives because we're afraid that if they find out who we are, they won't like who we really are. And so we put ourselves out there, you know, we might get hurt again or we'll be judged. And so what do we tend to do? We tend to hide behind masks, right, a facade. And we keep our defenses up and we hold one another at arm's length. We, the thing is, there's something in us that longs to be connected but we have a fear of vulnerability. And that, and that vulnerability just seems like too scary a price to pay. And so we just keep living in this. Vulnerability is at the core of shame, fear, and our struggle for worthiness. But Breen Brown also went on to say this. She said it's also the place of joy, belonging, and love. Vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, belonging, and love. It, let, it lets other people into our lives. Uh, vulnerability breaks down those barriers. It breaks down the, the walls that keep us from one another. And Jesus knew that. Jesus was vulnerable with his disciples. Did you know that? When you read the Gospels, you see this evidence. He let them see when he was mad. He let them see when he was happy, when he was sad, when he was disappointed. He let them see this. When he was rejoicing, he let his closest friends see him, even in that moment of agony, right before he was arrested. His friends were right there. He brought them with him. You know, there was tears involved. There was grief. And Jesus was vulnerable in that moment. He allowed himself to be vulnerable. There was a time, uh, a couple months back, we were in our, our deeper small group on Wednesday night we had. And uh, we were in there, and we're just talking. We're having a good time just sharing, you know, different things together. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about now because the important thing is what happened next. All of a sudden, one young lady in the, in the class, she just burst out. All of this horrible stuff that was happening in her life, that her child was sick, that her husband was looking for a job, she was sick, and she was at the end of her rope, and she just starts bawling. And all of a sudden, in that moment, it got really real. It like snapped us out of a daze, and we realized why we're in this group. What are we doing this for? It's for this right here, right? It was like waking up. Her vulnerability knit us together. We just stopped everything. We prayed for her, and it was this wonderful promise keepers moment. Everybody's crying, hugging. And uh, it was great. 
But, but it took somebody's vulnerability to get over that, right? To break through that. Um, and the truth is, when we do that, when we are willing to be vulnerable, that's when we realize that we're not alone. That's when we don't have to walk alone anymore. We have to take a step. We can't just sit back behind our shell and wait for everyone else to bust through, right? We have to take that step. And the truth is we were not meant to carry our burdens on our own. We weren't meant to. If you're doing it, if you're a Christian and you're carrying your burdens all by yourself, it doesn't make you evil. You're not going to hell for it. But you know what? You're doing it the hard way, right? You're doing it the miserable way. You weren't meant for that. We were meant for community. We, we were meant to carry each other's burdens of shame, resentment, guilt, pride. We weren't meant to, to carry that on our own. We were made for community, for connecting. This is God's dream for the beginning of the church, from the very beginning. This was his dream. The Apostle Paul said in a letter to the, the Galatians, he said, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. And this way, obey the law of Christ. Do you want to obey the law of Christ? Share each other's burdens. It, it's super simple. Because what is that? That's a sign of love. That's love in action. It's not just feeling good thoughts about each other, right? I could, I could sit here and think, man, I love, I love these people. I love that guy right there. Man, Derek, man, I love him. Whew. He's a cool dude. Love him so much. I'm not going to talk to him or anything because that would be weird. But so I'm just going to love him. You're welcome, Jesus. <laughs> right? He, <laughs> I haven't shown any love, right? I haven't done anything. I got to go share some burdens. I got to go show, show my love. Paul understood this need for vulnerability in order to connect. So, which brings us to today. Because this is a fantastic moment for you to be a Generations Church. I'm telling you what. Because this, is, this week is finally the culmination of what we've been excited about for months and months and months and months. This week, we are launching our first ever home life small groups. And, and if, if you want to understand why this matters so much, you have to understand what it means to connect, what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be disciples who make disciples, what it means to be a place where we have committed ourselves that nobody walks alone. That is why this is important. And so I can think of no more perfect way to connect with others in authentic relationship to get plugged into a small group. Um, A small group, if you're wondering, what is a small group? If you just wandered in, you're not sure what that is. It's basically a community of people. See if this sounds familiar. It's a community of people that accept each other for who they are, that, that help each other walk in the direction that God wants us to walk, and to help each other grow in our faith journey together. It kind of describes what? A church, right? A small group is like a little church, right? It's just small. That's why we came up with this brilliant word called small group. (laughs) Not big group. (laughs) This is big group. (laughs) Home life, it represents this. It's a huge step of faith for us at Generations. And those of you who've been with us for a long time, I know know you know this. Uh, I believe it's a huge step toward being that place where nobody walks alone, where disciples make disciples. And you know what? We can't even take credit for it. We didn't come up with the idea of small group. We got the idea from Jesus. Yeah, we really did. When Jesus was on the earth, did you know he spent the majority of his time with the same small group of friends 
the same group that he was with in that room when he knelt down and washed their feet, that's how he actually spent the majority of his time. The primary focus of his three-year ministry was investing in this group of friends, right? The, the, the rallies of five, 10,000 people, that gets a lot of press. That was cool stuff. But the most of his time was spent around the fire with his friends, investing in them because they were going to be the disciples who made disciples, right? When Jesus ascended to heaven, he wasn't surrounded by 3,000 disciples. He, he was surrounded by his disciples, and they made disciples. So that's why Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He actually responds with two. He says two things, love God and love others. Love God and love others. Because these things are inseparable. He says, if you love me, you're, you're going to prove it by loving others. And so we do that by investing our time into other people. That's how we do that. Connecting. And so if we're going to live out these two inseparable priorities, it means we've got to make room for people. We just have to. We have to make room for people. And when we look in Scripture at how those first century Christ followers lived out this command, you know what it looks like? An awful lot like small groups. It really does, right? Some people are like, small groups, that's like a trend. That's tra- it is a trend. It's about a 2,000-year-old trend, right? The early church, they met in homes where people gathered in, in small groups to enjoy a meal together. They took the Lord's Supper together. They worshiped the Lord together. They prayed together. They encouraged one another. And that was a time they needed encouragement, right? They were under incredible persecution. In the letters uh, written in the early church, uh, letters like the book of Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Romans, they're full of what's known as these one another passages, one another passages, these references that say we're encouraged to love one another, forgive one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, serve one another. This is all through these letters, one another, one another. You never see this picture of a Christ follower getting saved and then just going living it on the mountaintop all by himself like a monk. You don't see that. You see one another, one another. And when I look at these verses, I can't think of a better way to, to live out these these things, then when we commit to a core community of people and we intentionally do life together, right? Now, so often we think we're, we're too busy. We're too busy for, for a small group. How in the world can I add one more thing to my plate? But let's face it. Let's be honest. We all do the thing that we decide is important. We all make time for the things that we decided were important, Right? Some of you probably had some limbs on your roof this morning, right? You probably, you, you probably need to sweep the mud off your driveways and things like that. And look what you made time to do. You came here. Some of you might have taken a really long route to get here, right? And you, you came here because you thought this was important. Even if that means rearranging our schedule, sometimes we'll do that. Or eliminate, eliminating things that have no lasting value. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. My son Julius, he was, um, he's in diving, and he's doing so good. And it's his first year diving. And he had a diving meet the other day up in Conroe. And I was so proud of him. I was so proud. Um, but, you know, if somebody had asked me the week before, do you have time on that Saturday uh, to, to drive your kid to this diving meet, wait around a few hours, you know, and then, and then drive them all the back. I would have went, actually, no. I don't have time. I got, I'm busy. There's a lot of stuff happening, right? But somehow, there I was, making room for it, right? And the world didn't end. It's an amazing thing. Uh, 
Why did I go? Because I just, I love seeing a bunch of kids belly flop into the pool. <laughs> right? And there were, there were a couple epic belly flops, wasn't there? Yes. <laughs> That's not why I went. It's because I love my son. I love my son more than anything. And I'm going to make room for that relationship. And so everything in the week, you know what it did? It just kind of resettled. Resettled around what's most important. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, you know Expedia.com, the travel website? They had this, uh, I remember this huge ad campaign called a trip-a-day giveaway. Does anybody remember this? Yeah. Trip-a-day giveaway. And you got to go on a trip if you won. But here was the catch to it. it, was in, it, it you were given the opportunity to take the, the dream trip of a lifetime. But here's the catch. When they called you, when you won, you had to drop everything and go. Right then, that day. And if you couldn't go, you didn't win. You didn't get to go. You had to drop everything and fly away. And amazingly, people went on their trips. It was an amazing thing, right? Were these busy people? Yeah. But they immediately reprioritized their time around this opportunity of a lifetime. And I'm telling you, I'm not overstating this, that I believe that home life for some of you is the opportunity of a lifetime. A home life small group is the opportunity of a lifetime. Some of you, I believe, are going to find new hope. You're looking for hope. You're looking for purpose. You're looking for passion that you haven't felt in a long time. You're like, where is it? You're looking for that. I believe there's marriages on the brink of disaster that are going to find healing and be reconciled by God in a home life group. I believe that's my prayer. I believe people are going to find their way back to God who have questions and are wondering. They're going to find their way back in a home life group. I believe some of our home life groups, they're not just going to meet uh, every once in a while, but they're, they're going to get together and, and think missionally about their community. They're going to get together and go out and serve people in their community. And they're not going to go out because like someone in the office says, all right, everybody go out and serve the community. They're going to get together and be like, hey, we can do this, right? And they're going to serve. We may call these small groups, but, but there's nothing small about the impact that they can have. These are not just cute little gatherings where we come together to visit and sing Kumbaya. It's not. I believe God intends, the vision that he's put in our hearts, what he intends is to make these life-changing communities, making a huge impact in people's lives. So here's a fact. Here's a fact. You're going to face setbacks in this life. Whether you're going through one right now or you came through this one okay, you're going to face setbacks You're going to face mistakes. You're going to face relational drama. You're going to face doubt, just to name a few things. I don't mean to be a downer, but you're going to face this stuff, right? Whatever you're facing, you need people. You need people. The most spiritual person in the room needs people to come be Jesus to them, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to speak the words of Jesus. We need people. You need support. The writer of Hebrews knew that the importance of finding support in other people. He said this in chapter 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Look how those are combined, love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, he knew that in order to keep going, stand strong in order to persevere, his readers, those early followers of Jesus, they would have to huddle together. They couldn't neglect that. That's why we're launching Home Life. 
Because there's safety in numbers and there's power in numbers. That's why we're launching Home Life. And, and Scripture shows us that the best way to grow in your relationship with Jesus, which is what we're really all after, the best way to do that is when it's alongside other people. It's not by yourself. It's when it's alongside others. Home Life is going to be a place where you can connect with a faith-filled spiritual support system. And it's not just a support group. At its core, home life is about discipleship as well as building relationships. It's a place where you're going to grow spiritually, where you can get discipled and help make disciples. Every single one of us should be making disciples and and should be being discipled by someone. All of us should, right? It's going to be a place where you can experience the power of mutual encouragement and accountability and prayer. You know what else I'm really excited about? This is a spirit-filled church. If you're new with us, we're a spirit-filled church. We don't apologize for that. And home life is going to be a place where you can step out and learn to develop and practice those spiritual gifts that God has placed inside you. It's a place where you can, you can dare to do that, right? If you've never before, it's, it's going to be a place where you can stand up and say, hey, guys, I feel like the Holy Spirit's given me like a, like a, a prophetic word. I've never done this before. And everybody's going to be like, yeah, nobody's going to mock you for it, Right? Now, if you stand up here and we don't know you and you start giving us some kind of word, an usher may tackle you. I can't promise that won't happen. But in home life, that won't happen. Right? Because that's the place. We're going to develop our spiritual gifts together. We're going to encourage one another. Right? It's a place that will develop authentic spiritual relationships. So here's where I want to land this today. I want to land this here. If you haven't yet signed up for a home life group, I do I just dare, I dare you to go all in. Sign up today. Our, our awesome pioneer home life couples are going to be out there at the table in the North Foyer. Go by, sign up for one of those groups. They're meeting different nights of the week, different places around town. Connect with them. And get on, on the action. You know what? It's a 12-week challenge. Can I make you a 12-week challenge? Because that's all. It, it's 12 weeks. We're going to go 12 weeks. Then we're going to take a couple weeks off, regroup, and then we're going to launch again in the fall, in September. But out there are going to be our first ever home life couples. They would love to meet you, and they would love to invite you into their home this week. Will you join me? I'm not. Uh, thank you, sister. I'm not, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, I, but I know there's folks here who are thinking about it. I know there's folks who are wondering, is this worth my time? Is it worth kind of the hassle of you know, bringing my kids or maybe finding a babysitter if I want to do that way or... I'm inviting you to this challenge. Will you dare to invest yourself into the lives of other people? Invest your time. Invest of yourself. And watch the God who can do anything move and work miracles in your life. Because I know he will. Because he is not a taker. He is a giver. Our God is a giver. Amen? Listen, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. Uh, Someone once said, it was so brilliant. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And that is so true. The curse of modern life is that it's busy, it's filled with stuff. And a lot of that stuff we've been led to believe is indispensable, and it's not. It's not indispensable. The sad part is we can get so busy trying to achieve things, trying to accomplish everything on the list, that we will find that we have missed out on the most important experience of life, and that is connecting with other people. That is relationships. We don't want to miss out on that. And, and so what happens is we, we get stuck in these lonely, dead-end, empty, unfulfilling lives because we're busy. And that's the exact opposite of the kind of life 
that Jesus said he came to bring us, which is abundant life, fulfilling life, rich in relationship and community. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to bring us. Listen, it's obvious for a lot of us, how we're currently living is just not working. How many of you ever felt like that? This is not working. How we're currently living, it's got to be something different. So I'm asking you, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make room in our lives for the other people that God loves. Let's be intentional to invite people into our lives because, you know what, it might change your life. Amen.